Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My name is Mike Lewis. Welcome to episode 44 of the When to Jump podcast. Do we have a neat guest for you? Uh, this is a gentleman named John Valverde. He is one of the keynotes at our upcoming Jump Club Boston Festival. On this episode and in our conversation today, he's going to give a little bit of a sneak peek, if you will, of his story. Uh, John was uh, incarcerated in prison for uh, over a decade. Uh, during this time, he made a few huge life changes, uh, pursuing education and then later social impact. He is now the first formerly incarcerated inmate to lead a global nonprofit. He's the CEO of Youth Build, which focuses on ways to mentor, support, provide resources to underprivileged youth across the country and helping them pursue educational and career opportunities and just better their lives. So John's going to share a little bit about uh, his jump and a few jumps he's made uh, on this podcast today. If you have a chance to come to Boston, I mean, if only to meet John, I would highly recommend you do it. I'm really proud to have John on the podcast here. If you want tickets to the uh, to the festival, we still have a, some remaining. You can go to whendajump.com uh, and come listen and meet John as he'll be at our festival in Boston on September 7th and 8th. Uh, but without further ado, here's a little bit of a conversation with John Valverde, CEO of YouthBuild. John, thanks so much for joining the When to Jump podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So... You are leading a global nonprofit now, but that is not exactly uh, perhaps the path that you imagined you'd be on uh, growing up as a kid. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Uh, I grew up raised by a single mom in New York, uh, struggling to make ends meet. I'm a first-generation American, uh, first in my family to go to to college. And, uh, you know, it was a real struggle growing up. So I I never imagined uh, that... I'd be a CEO of anything <laughs> ever. So the fact that now I am leading Youth Build uh, and its global movement to impact young people really is fantastic and inspiring and humbling for me. And I'm really grateful. Uh, also, uh, growing up, I made it through the struggles uh, as a teenager and made it all the way to college, as I mentioned. And my mom is a hero of mine. She's 80 now and still works full time. And she really helped me and my brother get through all of that. And we both uh, ended up going to college. And when I was 20 years old, un- I made a terrible decision. And unfortunately, it resulted in my incarceration. And I was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Uh, of which I served a total of 16 years uh, before I was released 10 years ago. And entering the prison system, I didn't think that I would survive a day uh, or a year. Uh, So the idea that today I'm home and I'm home 10 years, uh, 10 years ago I'd never seen email or the internet or um, uh, a smartphone or any of the technology that you know, it's so commonplace today. 
And the idea that I'm now the first formerly incarcerated CEO of a nonprofit with a global mission, again, is very humbling. And, um, and I'm grateful for that. And I think it also means little or less if it doesn't inspire the young people of YouthBuild to believe that anything is possible for their futures. And, and also if it doesn't inspire society to believe in second chances and what could be possible for people when they're given a second chance. You made a couple jumps and one of them was just figuring out, it sounds like, what, what to do next when you, when you got behind bars. Can you describe what that was like? How did you approach that? What was the first night like? What did you think about? Yeah, uh, well, as I, as I alluded to earlier, I, I think I couldn't even see the next day, let alone, you know, a year down the road. I really did believe that my life was over. And I had reconnected with my father. I had been estranged from him uh, at the time of my arrest. And I reconnected with him early on during my incarceration. And he said, accept full responsibility for what you did. Seek to make amends and say yes as much as you can to help others and you will find purpose and meaning and be free. And that's what I did. I began to say yes to help as many people as I could. And I went on to be the first incarcerated person to have adjunct professor status with a couple of colleges and I taught everything from intro to philosophy to history to theology and ethics over a 10-year period. I also went on to co-found and, and create two nonprofits. Uh, and I went on to uh, be the first incarcerated person in New York State to take the LSAT, uh, the first to be accepted to law school while still incarcerated. I helped create uh, peace initiatives and helped start the first a monolingual uh, alternative to violence program for Spanish-speaking uh, incarcerated people. So I went on to do a lot of amazing things while, while I was in prison. And then uh, I was grateful to be granted parole and released in 2008. And uh, so I look back on, on that 16-year period that I was in prison and... Sometimes I can't believe that I survived it. You know, you'll, you'll get a chance to meet me and see me. I'm not uh, the toughest nor meanest looking guy <laughs> at all. So sometimes it's, I think it's a miracle that I actually made it out in, in one piece. And, and prison is not meant to be a, you know, a nice place. I mean, it is very, very challenging. And it was a, obviously an incredible struggle for me. And many people don't make it out, not just in one piece. Many don't make it out alive. Uh, so I, I'm grateful that I can look back on my experience. And I, I think a lot about my father. Uh, my father died actually three years before my release. Uh, he never got to see me successful in the way maybe the world defines success or and never had a chance to see me home. And you know, I'm but I know that my father died knowing I was already free. And that, that has been a real driver in my life. And today, I still continue to live by his words. I've learned to say no, but I do still say yes as much as I can to help others, believing I'll find meaning and purpose and freedom in that. And uh, I'm grateful that 10 years 
after my release. So 26 years after he said that to me, uh, it continues to guide my life. And what was it like saying yes to things that put you out of your comfort zone? And we can start with your time incarcerated and then go into your second jump after leaving prison. But, you know, take us through that, because that to me is is the jump is you didn't have to apply or take apply to law school, take the LSAT to to become an adjunct professor. You know, was it. Was there a lot of, you know, we talk about these, the little voice in your head. There's obviously the voice saying, go for it, say yes, from what your father, you know, guided you, uh, you know, to do from an aspiration perspective. But how did that push over a lot of the voices that would say, what are you, are you crazy? Yeah, I, I, well, clearly I was um, different, I think, is a fair word to describe uh, me and my, and my incarceration experience in some ways, simply because I was educated, uh, more educated than others, and, and that was certainly a factor. But also, you know, being in school, uh, in prison, wasn't exactly popular either, you know, and uh, you, always, you were always going to have people who discouraged that. There was obviously the, the gang uh, influence in, in the prison setting that is very, very strong. And, you know, there are different ways that, that people survive. So I think at first I had to make a real choice about committing myself to being that person, the one who's going to be in school, the one who's going to be reading all the time, the one who's going to be helping people, because there was also a risk in doing that. And uh, I still, by even sitting with a, a gang leader, for example, to help him respond to his daughter's letter, I was, at least the optics of it were that I was associated with him and therefore that gang. So there was risk in that as well. Um, But all of this, ultimately, I had to make a choice, you know, either give up and allow myself to become part of the prison system and lose myself in the culture there, or be someone who drives a new culture and see how many people I could bring with me. And that's the, the jump that I made. Uh, I didn't give in to what so many people give in to. And uh, I didn't give in to also the defeat and mental health challenges of thinking, for example, about suicide or to begin taking drugs in prison like like others were doing or to join a gang or any of those kinds of examples. It really became a choice that I made to believe that one day I was going to be home and that I could do something to ensure that I was getting better each day or each year and that even though I couldn't eliminate the bars and the prison walls and the concrete, I could make a difference on the inside and actually help create a world for myself that could work uh, during the, the time that I was going to be there. And if possible, even help make it a better place. I mean, it's a prison, but even make it a better place for others who are, are incarcerated with me. And uh, I just described to you the youth bill model. So even for me, although I didn't graduate from youth build, 
I, my story is a youth build story. Uh, youth build is a second chance program for young people who've dropped out of school and are, and are out of work. I mean, we've got 5 million 16 to 24 year olds who fall into that category in this country and another 350 million worldwide. And those core elements that I just described are actually how I survived my incarceration experience um, in terms of developing myself. And then, of course, the, the relationships both that I was able to, positive relationships I was able to make on the inside and also the ones I was able to maintain uh, on the outside, including with my family that, that stood by me uh, all that time. So I look back on that and, and um, again, I'm, I'm amazed that I, <laughs> uh, sometimes amazed that I survived and other times... It actually feels surreal, almost like I was never incarcerated. And that's much harder to explain and describe. But I think I learned inside that with courage and a vision for, for my future, I could make a, a jump. And I know that that is part of how I made the next jump uh, after my release. You walk away in 2008, 10 years ago, a free man. And before we get into youth build, why, why even go towards a place where you're going to have to revisit your past, bring it out, publicize it, own up to it? You know, why confront it in such a visible way? A lot of people go through tough things, <clears throat> and and good or bad, they just it's in the rear view mirror. You know, what was it about? Why did you go on the path you, you went on when you left prison in 2008? So I, I initially came home uh, afraid that the world would never accept me. And uh, so I, my strategy was actually to hide, uh, hide my past, um, avoid uh, sharing too much information, um, kind of move forward and I had enough relationships and, and family support to have a good place to live. You know, 10 years ago, I, uh, my mom welcomed me back into the house and, you know, I lived with her uh, starting out and uh, within six days I, I had a job because you know, through my connections I, I was able to land the job and I didn't have to explain the 16-year gap on the resume. So early on, my choice was actually to be anonymous. I'd land a job, I had a good place to live, I would just move on with my life and I uh, would put it behind me because I don't look like your perhaps stereotypical uh, formerly incarcerated person. I would just get away with it and never have to explain it and that's it, done. And actually I had an experience uh, at an event in, in Manhattan that made me rethink all of that. And uh, it was through this experience that I actually um, made this next jump. And I actually left the job that I was in and made the choice to move in the, the direction of the nonprofit world, believing that I could be a voice for second chances. And it was at that event that um, I came to that realization that I had actually uh, for the time that I'd been home up, up to the time of that experience, I had actually put myself back in prison by hiding from the world. And uh, 
I made a choice. I made a jump uh, to be open about my past, believing that it could be liberating uh, for others and be a clearing for others uh, to let go of things in their lives and, and that weren't serving them and live uh, fully and perhaps in a new way into their futures uh, with more freedom. And um, again, I look forward to sharing more of that story at, the, at your event. Oh, and I look forward to hearing it. That's It's incredible. Isn't it funny how some big life decisions go down to the smallest things? You know, like one memory years ago, one decision in your head, one one split second uh, choice that you make. It, and, and you, you kind of hold on to those things and, and sometimes just keep coming back to them to explain much bigger uh, actions in your life. Absolutely. I, uh, I, again, I reflect a, a lot and, and I'll always, um, you know, regret uh, my actions and I know that I will live uh, the rest of my life uh, trying to make amends and I try to be life-giving in everything that I do and I believe my, my current role uh, allows me that and gives me the platform and, and the meaning and purpose uh, to continue to you know, address that. I, I know that I will do that for the rest of my life. And, and so I do look back on the choices and I also look back and I keep fresh before me, my moments of high resolve as, as I struggle with things, uh, in this very difficult and challenging role, I am reminded of all that I have already overcome. And I'm also reminded of what our young people in, in Youth Build are, are dealing with. I mean, 100% of them are, were raised in poverty and they've suffered trauma and have tremendous challenges. And they've also overcome a lot uh, to be where they are and make their jump and choice to be part of Youth Build. So it's been very interesting and humbling uh, for me to realize that I actually can be a role model and example for these young people perhaps in ways that you know, others wouldn't be able to be that, that kind of role model. And more than one third of the young people have had criminal justice involvement. So what I initially thought would be a detriment uh, to me pursuing this opportunity, I, I was part of a national search, 125 candidates, and I was the only one not known to youth build. And I actually never imagined that I would get this job. So that's another jump there as well. I, I took a, a leap of faith, but saw it as a learning opportunity because I just wanted to grow. And uh, look, you know, in the end, I was selected and I never thought they'd select me because of my record and that maybe I would be a bad role model for young people. It turns out uh, and I, I see their wisdom now, but it turns out that for most of the young people, I'm, I'm a great example of, of how to transform your life. Um, you know, put the guilt and shame in its proper place, seek to improve yourself and, um, live into a future that's better and different, that has a positive impact and so for the young people, it's, it's been super inspiring and I feel grateful that they've embraced me and others have embraced me because I did take a risk um, choosing to be a voice for second chances. And uh, as hard as it still is to share my story, I believe, uh, as I mentioned, I believe it's freeing and liberating for people uh, to hear it 
and um, inspiring uh, for people who are looking for a second chance. It's pretty powerful, this idea of your, as you described it, one of your biggest regrets, or perhaps your biggest regret or failure being the, the catalyst of your prison time and the experience in prison turning out to be a defining positive to your for your your next jump and the success of your path forward following prison that's that's pretty wild to me if you think about it in just terms of something you're ashamed of and almost feeling as the gatekeeper to your happiness and fulfillment and success in life being the actual in fact driver of your success fulfillment and happiness in life Absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, it's been a powerful lesson for me. And I, again, I could have chosen to just dwell and live in my guilt and shame and, um, you know, wallow in it. And instead, I made a choice to you know, face it head on and do my best to give to others as a way to make amends. And I'll, as I said, I'll do that the rest of my life. But were it not for my incarceration experience, again, I, I regret uh, my choices. But uh, were it not for that experience, I don't think I would have developed uh, a vision for the future that allows me to be very resilient and persevere in situations that others um, you know, may find impossible. And I also developed the discipline and habits and the ability to think positive in the face of so much negativity. Uh, so affirmations and meditation and, and prayer. And, and I learned to trust my gut and read people a certain way. And that absolutely serves me every day in my, in my current role. And I'm just grateful that, you know, I'm in a place where I can make a statement like no one should be defined only by the worst thing that they've ever done, but by who they are today and who they can be in the future. And uh, my future is still taking shape. And um, I believe I have all the tools and the, and the mindset and the commitment to having an impact that I need uh, to be successful and continue the ripple effect that started during my incarceration all those years ago. So I'm really grateful and humbled by that. Incredible. And for those that are going to be able to make it, what can they expect to hear from you uh, when you share your story more in person in September at Jump Club Boston? You know, they, I, I think they can expect to hear an authentic individual, you know, someone deeply committed to making a difference in the world and with the hope that my story can be a catalyst uh, for people living into the next greatest version of themselves. So, I really look forward to, to meeting you in person and, and the community uh, here in Boston. And we do as well. Uh, John Valverde got the, the rolling R there again. And he told me <laughs> that special points if I could do it. So there I am. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining the show. I look forward to meeting you in Boston, John. Thank you so much, Mike. Me as well. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with John. Uh, if you couldn't get it, that sense 
uh, from just a snippet of the conversation with him. He's an incredible guy, and he will be uh, speaking as one of our keynotes at Jump Club Boston, September 7th and 8th. So I hope you can get tickets and see him there. Uh, he is just a special person, and he's doing uh, some incredible things with Youth Build. So tickets for Jump Club, wendajump.com. You can, you can find it there. If you put in WTJPOD, you get 10% off. Uh, we would love to see you. I'd love to meet you. John's going to be there along with Laura McCowan, who you heard from a few weeks ago on the podcast, along with uh, Adam Eskin, the CEO and founder of Dig In, the fast casual food operation out of New York, uh, and tons more folks. So we'll be at the Cambridge Innovation Center um, on September 7th and 8th in Boston. Hope to see you there. And if you've got a jump to share, go to wendajump.com, contact us through the forum. You can also record a voice note of your jump and send it to jump at mcmillan.com. Find us on social at when to jump on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Mike Lewis. I will see you for episode 45 of the when to jump podcast next week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.